welcome to the second episode of the Jewish Wisdom for Business and Life podcast. I am your host, Levi Brackman. Thank you so much for joining. I am recording this podcast a day early because this week we are going to celebrate the festival of Passover. Passover is a festival that Jewish people celebrate to commemorate the exodus of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, where they were enslaved to the Pharaoh. In this episode, I am going to be talking about freedom. What is freedom and what isn't freedom? I'm also going to talk about slavery, and I'm going to try and get to the quintessence, to the crux of what it truly means to be free. This is an incredibly important topic because... The truth is, we all want to be free, but we don't necessarily have clarity with regards to what that freedom actually looks like and how that freedom can be operationalized. So in this podcast episode, I'm going to try and shed light on all of that. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about the story of the Exodus from Egypt, because in it, There are lots of hints and nuggets that can lead us to understand what freedom truly is. So to set the stage, the Israelites were enslaved to the Pharaoh in Egypt for many years, for hundreds of years. Just to take a step back from that, the way they got into Egypt was because there was a famine in the land of Israel or the land of Canaan at the time. And Jacob and his sons needed to find food, and in the land of Egypt, there was a lot of food. And the person who was managing that food was Joseph. Joseph had previously been sold into slavery by his brothers, who then went to Egypt, and he rose up the ranks and became second in command to the pharaoh in Egypt, and he managed all the storehouses of food. And it turned out that the the sons of Jacob came down and they met at Joseph and in the end Joseph revealed himself to them that he was Joseph and they end up settling in Egypt as they started enjoying their lives in Egypt they multiplied and eventually they constituted a large percentage of the Egyptian population the Egyptians didn't like this and they thought well how can we solve this how can we keep these Israelites from growing to the extent that they end up taking over Egypt because they were their population was growing so fast and they decided the best way to do that was to enslave them and that's what they did and slowly over time they kept the Israelites as slaves and the Israelites cried out to God and God heard their cry sent Moses to be their savior brought the plagues upon and the Egyptians and Then the exodus took place. That's the crux of it. That was the story. Every single year, we Jewish people celebrate this with the festival of Passover. And we celebrate the idea of freedom from slavery. And we tell the whole story on the night of Passover. And that is called the Seder night. And the idea of having a Seder has actually grown in popularity. And there are Seders... You know, the White House had a Seder for many years under Obama. 
I'm not sure whether they're still doing that under Biden. I think also Trump had seders. So seder is something which people do regularly, even in the popular culture, because it's this idea of really being able to appreciate freedom from slavery. Now, we talk about freedom a lot in this country. America is the land of the free. This is the place where people cherish their freedoms. They cherish their freedom of speech. They cherish their freedom to bear arms. They cherish their freedom to be able to vote. They cherish their freedoms. This is supposedly the land of the free. But what does it truly mean to be free? And Passover can give us some hints to what that really is and how to get there. So let's talk a little bit about the different types of freedom that exist. People in America love to talk about financial freedom and how to gain financial freedom. And the idea of financial freedom is that you no longer have to worry about where your money is going to come from. You can know that you have enough money coming in to cover your needs and that you don't have to necessarily work hard for it. Financial freedom very often has a hallmark, which is that your money is working for you and therefore you don't have to work for your money. And that is the idea of being financially free. So that's one kind of freedom. There's also mental or intellectual freedom. And that is the idea that you can think your own thoughts. You're not forced to think thoughts that other people have placed into your head, but you have the right to think your own thoughts. There are many places and many countries where that's not the case. People are unable to think their own thoughts, and if they do, they can get into serious trouble. There are some communities where you have to keep in line with whatever the thought pattern that is dictated to you or that is expected of you. You also have emotional freedom. Emotional freedom is the ability to feel whatever you want to feel, to love whoever you want to love, to be able to express your emotions in the way that you feel you want to express your emotions. So freedom can come in many forms. There's personal freedom, intellectual freedom, emotional freedom, financial freedom, and there's also slavery. Slavery is the exact opposite of freedom, and there are lots of categories of slavery as well. One can be a slave to others, like the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians in Egypt. You can also be enslaved in a lesser way to other people. You can be a slave to your job. You can be a slave to your environment, to your family. In other words, other people are expecting things of you or they ask things from you or demand things from you. And if you don't do those things, there can be major consequences and therefore you can feel enslaved to having to do those things. And that is being enslaved to others. One can also be enslaved to oneself. And that is something which very often one doesn't really take into consideration because if it's from me, then how can I be enslaved to myself? Well, if you talk to an addict, no one forces the addict to continue to drink or continue to take drugs or continue to act out their addictive behavior, but they feel enslaved to it. They enslave themselves in some way. Their addiction, their illness is what's enslaving them. And then there are also thought patterns and self-talk. Just like there is intellectual freedom, 
There's also intellectual slavery, that one constantly has certain thought patterns or one constantly has certain types of self-talk, which holds one back and doesn't enable one to really kind of break forth and reach one's own full potential. Someone can be enslaved intellectually as well, not by others who are forcing you to think in a certain way, but rather your own thought patterns and your own way of thinking actually forces you to think in a certain way because you habitually think that way and that's just how you the stories that you tell yourself about things and the commentary that you constantly play the whole time about life and things that go on and that holds you back and that can enslave you as well so Slavery can be something that is just as much being enslaved by others, which is the extreme version of it, but one can also be enslaved by oneself. Then there's also other kinds of expectations that can enslave a person. You can have community expectations. The community that one lives in, one's friends, can expect one to behave in a certain way or to be a certain way or to do certain things, although... Truly, you might not want to do those things yourself for your own sake. And those expectations can actually limit one and enslave one in a sense. But you can also have self-expectations. You can have certain expectations of yourself. Again, that goes back a little bit related to the self-talk. But you expect certain things from yourself. And that can also hold you back. Even if those expectations might be great expectations. But those expectations also might not be a true manifestation of who one truly is in the freest possible way so what is freedom then well freedom is the ability to be able to transcend all of that to stand above all of that and see oneself and then decide how to think speak and act that's what true freedom is to be able to transcend oneself in a sense to be able to see oneself from an outsider's perspective because all the things that happened to oneself is really happening in a reactive way to oneself they're happening to us we tell ourselves stories we give ourselves self-talk we feel emotions we think thoughts all those things are happening perpetually and continuously but they're happening to us and we're reacting to them and often we just can't control them and we're just enslaved by them the ability to stand outside of all of that and to observe it and then decide which parts to partake in and which parts to ignore what to entertain and what to not entertain that can only happen if one stands as in a sense a third party to oneself and then make decisions about how to react and how to engage with what's going on within oneself and that one might argue is true freedom But I'll take it one step further because I would argue that even if one is standing 
as a third-party observer, so to speak, to oneself and to one's own life, one still has a decision to make about what to engage and what not to engage in. And then the question is, well, how do I make that decision? So a thought might come to my head. Do I entertain that thought or not? I might all of a sudden feel a burst of anger or a burst of love. Do I follow that sense of anger? Or do I follow that feeling of love? Or do I ignore it? Do I not engage with it? Well, how do I know how to react? I might be standing as a third-party observer, but now I need to act. What do I do? Don't forget, not acting is also acting. Because if one doesn't engage with, with that thought or emotion, then that's also doing something. So the question is, well, how should one react? And one can look at it from two perspectives. There's the internal and then there is the external. And I would argue that one is higher than the other. The internal is higher than the external. And let me explain. So the external is ethics, or some might say they are religious rules or laws or other kinds of universal laws that people believe in, perhaps the legal system of the country one lives in. And one can rely on those in order to make a decision about how to act or react. So yes, one might be standing as a third-party observer to the self, and then a thought comes to one's mind or emotion is aroused. And the question is, well, do I entertain this or not? Well, one goes and takes a look at that external source of laws, so to speak, perhaps the religious laws, perhaps some kind of universal ethics, and decide based on those rules and universal rules of ethics, or perhaps religious rules, the Torah, or other types of, perhaps one might argue, some might say divinely inspired rules, and decide, well, based on that, now I'll know how to behave. So now you're basically taking that third party view of oneself. You're being guided by that outside or external universal rules or ethics in order to tell yourself how to act or react. And some people argue that that is absolute freedom. As a matter of fact, it says in the Talmud that, which is the Jewish magnum opus of Jewish thought and law, that who is considered to be a free person? Well, one who studies the Torah. And it is understood from that and from other sources in the, the Jewish religion that the ultimate of human freedom is living one's life in accordance with those ethical principles as laid down in the Torah. Therefore, studying those ethical principles brings one towards the ability to then approximate one's life as a third-party observer to make sure that one's totally reactive in accordance with those laws. And that is total freedom. And the argument for that would be because the soul is connected with God and these are God's rules and therefore what the soul truly wants and seeks is to be in sync with God's laws. And therefore, if you know God's laws, you know how to, as a third-party observer, enforce those laws upon the self and now you're truly free. That is that argument. But there must be something more than that, I would argue. There has to be something more than that. And I would say that that is an internal source of guidance of how one should act and react to whatever's going on with oneself. 
Let me talk a little bit about what this is. So the internal is the ability to transcend even the third party observer position of the self. Let me explain what I mean by that. So you have yourself, which is the reactive self. No matter what happens, one's thinking thoughts the whole time, one's feeling emotions, one's being human. And then you have the ability to take a step back from that and observe that and see, like a third-party observer, what thoughts come to one's mind, what emotions are aroused, what desires that exist, etc. And then there's the decision to behave or not behave, to react or not react, to act or not to act. And that is the third-party observer position, making those decisions about that. But that is still the individual as they are in relation to themselves. You still have that third-party position where you are now the individual as you are in relation to yourself, the reactive self. There is a step beyond that where you are the individual who is totally transcended from that need to react at all. That is the quintessence of the willpower. So what Immanuel Kant talks about the will as being the higher source of all of humanity. And the Jewish mysticism has a similar concept that the quintessence of being human is the human willpower. That will of what do I truly want, my truest desire and will, is the transcendence of the self beyond even the ability to be a third-party viewer of the self. When you're in touch with that level of the self, you understand quintessentially what you truly want because you are in touch with your true essence of what it means to be human. To get there, however, one needs to be able to reach beyond the limitations of the self and be able to step into a place where one is willing to break free from all constraints. And I would argue that the constraints that are imposed by external rules, so even if you're seeing yourself as a third-party observer, but you're still constrained by external rules and norms, whether those be religious rules or norms, or whether they be ethical norms or rules, or even legal norms or rules. If you're constrained by those things and those things guide you, you will still have clutter so that you won't be able to be in touch with your quintessential willpower of who you truly are. It's only by giving up on that. It's only by saying, I am willing to forego the need to 
live my life and to make decisions based on any external source. And I will only be driven by that which is quintessentially me. Then one is able to be truly free. And that takes huge amount of internal strength and power to get to. That is why, going back to the story of the Israelites, there were some very enlightened people amongst the Israelites, I am sure. I mean, Moses and Aaron lived amongst the Israelites, but none of them were able to actually be free on their own. They needed the mighty hand of God to bring them out of slavery. Because when you're enslaved, even if you're enslaved in a subtle way, if you to break totally free, you need infinite power to pull you out. And that infinite power is the power of God in the story of the Exodus from Egypt. But within us as humans, that infinite power is the ability to be able to transcend the self and transcend the third-party observer of self and get in touch with one's quintessential willpower and know what that is and feel that and make decisions based on that. And in order to be able to get in touch with that, one has to be able to give up on the idea that one has to listen to some external power or some external source of knowledge in order to guide one's decision-making every single day. Now, in the end, you might decide anyway to live your life in accordance with the ethical principles or the Torah principles, etc., whatever that it may be. And you might find that your quintessential willpower is totally in sync and is totally compatible with all those ethical rules. But you will then be doing that not because of an external set of rules, but because that is who you are, because that is your quintessence. That is your essential willpower. That's why you're acting that way. But in order to get there, you have to be able to let go. You have to be able to say to yourself, I will no longer be controlled by any externalities. I will only be true to myself. And only at that point can you actually hear what you truly yourself really wants to be, that true willpower. Because in order to get there, you have to have that infinite aspect of the self, which I'm calling willpower, to be able to pull you out. And as long as you are weighed down by externalities, you won't be able to allow that willpower in to pull you out. Now, the practical difference between how you're going to live your life might not be there at all because you might find that the religious people are right, that the willpower of the quintessence of the willpower of the, of the human and the ethical rules are all compatible and they're all the same. They're all in sync. That might be the case. But in order to get there, you have to be willing to transcend even those externalities. And that, I believe, is true freedom. So we've spoken multiple levels of freedom here. And from financial freedom to what I'm considering to be true quintessential freedom, which is the hardest one to get to because you have to be truly willing to give up everything. You have to truly open yourself up to the possibility that everything you know and everything you're told, and every externality is all wrong, and that you're willing to then embrace 
whatever it is your true essence wants from you. Now, how does one know that that's one's true essence? How does one know that when one listens to that small voice of the self, of the quintessential willpower, that that's actually it? How does one know that? Well, that's a risk. That's the risk for freedom. There's a risk inherent in the fact that now you've given up all those externalities. What do you have to guide you? Nothing. You might end up losing it all. You have nothing and nobody to rely on but yourself. That's true freedom. It's you and nothing else. You're now availing yourself to the ability to act in every single way only accordance with who you and your true essence wants to be. That's true freedom. There can be no greater freedom than that. And that is that striving for the infinite, the infinite within oneself, and only when one strives for the infinite within oneself and one's able to reach it, and one's willing to forego all the other externalities and whatever cost that might bring, only at that point is one truly free. So this has many massive implications for one's life and is inherent and fraught with a tremendous amount of risk because ultimately a lot of the people who you live around are not going to appreciate necessarily that true freedom because they live in externality externalities which want to which weigh them down ultimately and that is not compatible with true freedom as a human being to truly be free one has to have courage one has to not be afraid of what that freedom really looks like. I think that most people are afraid of true freedom because it's fraught with risks. But in order to be able to live a life of success, a success not just in business, because this is also very much related to business, because the first rule of business is one that, that one has to face one's fear and really live a life which is compatible with who one truly is and then allow that to manifest itself in the world. But also for success as an individual, if you want to live a life of true freedom, a life where one feels that one is self-actualizing in the highest way possible, one has to have the courage to be able to stop being weighed down and in a, have the ability to if need be, reject all externalities in order to live a life which is really congruent with who one truly is in one's quintessence. And that is, to me, what the story and the festival of Passover is all about. This has been Levi Brackman with Jewish Wisdom for Business and Life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, episode two of season three of this podcast and till next time have a wonderful Passover